You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. I don't like driving too far, but when Tom asked me to come to night church, because it's Tom, I mean, who can say no to Tom? And so I came down in June, I drove uh, four hours, preached and drove home, and uh, at the end he said, would you come back? And I said, in a heartbeat, because I fell in love with this place. Uh, I just, you're such a, a wonderful, kind, hospitable people. This is called buttering up the congregation before you preach. And... Uh, and uh, no, it's lovely this time to be able to bring my wife with me. We were married nine years a few weeks ago. And uh, we have a little boy called Elijah who is six, but uh, he's at home because every now and again, when you're married nine years, you need a night away. And, uh, and, but he is with his grandparents this morning, probably causing havoc, but it is just such a joy to be with you. And uh, thank you so much for your kind welcome and for your hospitality and you're blessed here. I, I, I want you to know that. This church is well known, not only throughout Ireland, but throughout the world. Um, I have known of Pastor Tom for a while. It's been lovely to meet Denise this morning. And uh, So you're just blessed with your pastors. And there's Michael here as well. We'll not mention him. Um, but uh, no, it's just, you're so blessed. And uh, it's a real privilege for me to be here. I come to serve you this morning. I've been reminding myself of that during worship that I don't want you to leave here talking about Craig. I want you to leave here talking about Christ, okay? Um, and that's my goal is to serve you and to help you this morning. And so as we come to God's word, let's just take a moment in prayer and uh, then we'll launch in. We're in 2 Kings chapter 5, if you have a Bible with you. 2 Kings chapter 5. And so, Father, I stand under your word this morning. I submit to your word and I pray that your Holy Spirit would take your inspired and fallible word and apply it to our hearts that we might live more fully for Jesus Christ and for his glory. In his name we pray. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. I actually, uh, the last time I was here, if you were here, my hair was probably a bit higher. I'm just, I'm t- um, and the reason it's a bit more slicked back today is that a bit of a, 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 an accident during the week. I was heading to Donegal for a conference on Monday, and uh, I thought it was getting very thick, and so I bought these thin scissors on Amazon and decided to try them out, and without a mirror. And I went to town on it, and I... I I went, what have I done? And uh, I literally, I got to Donegal Town and people were looking at me funny. And so after a few days, I had enough and I went to the lo- only barber, <laughs> the only barber, uh, one girl in Donegal Town. And her words were, it's not the worst I've ever seen. Which uh, <laughs> in Donegal Town, that's not a compliment. Um, and uh, but, uh, and she, she did the best she could, but I, I kind of, I'm sweeping it back to cover up. It's like a comb over kind of here at the minute. Um, but it reminded me, I, I, I kind of have been cutting my hair on and off for years. When I was about 22, maybe 20 years ago, I, I went down to Argos and got myself a pair of clippers, you know, a set of clippers and thought I was the next Vidal Sassoon or Peter Mark. And every now and again, it would go well and every now and again, it wouldn't, but no, no big disasters. And then one night I was heading out for a night in the town in Belfast. And I thought, you know, we've got a trimmage is called for here. So I got the clippers out and I'm shaving away. But what I didn't realize was the comb had fallen off the clippers. And I'm... 
and I look in the mirror and there's this huge, bald, white patch the whole way up the side of my head. I'll not tell you what the first words out of my mouth were, but they weren't praise the Lord or hallelujah. You're not going to find them in the King James Version. And, uh, and uh, the guys who I live with thought this was the funniest thing I've ever seen. I mean, I'm trying to pick up the hair and stick it back on, praying for a miracle somehow as if this is going to happen. And, not, and I'm going, I cannot go out like this. This is not the look I want when I'm a single guy in his early 20s going out for the night. And so I'm running around the house panicking, and then I have this brainwave. Now, something I wouldn't normally do, but desperate times call for desperate measures. I found a black pen. And I, I colored it in. And because my hair is so dark at the sides, and, and actually, you know what, and the place we were going to, I'd love to tell you it was a church, but it was a bit darker than a church. Um, it was a club. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, it was back in my debaucherous days. And, uh, and, and, and I colored it in, and I thought I've got away with it. And we went and we met our friends, and everything was going well until the place got busier and busier, and the night went on and on, and the place got hotter and hotter, and this big fat head started to sweat. And these black streaks started running, and I wondered why everybody was, and this was before goths were cool, okay? The, these black streaks started running down my face, and it really wasn't my proudest moment. I tried to cover up my flaw, my mistakes, my mess, and it ended up being exposed. And that's what we're going to think about this morning, because we all do that. We all do it. We all have this stuff in our lives that we don't want people to see. We all have these inconsistencies, these messes, these struggles, but rather than bring them out and be transparent, we live in a culture that, we live in a social media culture where you take 45 photos just to get your best one, you know? Like every angle, you know, like this and like this and like this, and do I look okay? And you, you go on and you, you get rid of the wrinkles and you get rid of, and, 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 and we want to present our best selves to the world and yet inside there can be a whole other story going on. And so that's what we're going to think about this morning as we turn to 2 Kings chapter 5. Look at verse 1 with me. Now Naaman, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Naaman looks like he's got it all, doesn't he? He's risen to the top of his career. He's respected not only by the people, but by the king. He's won battles. He's at the pinnacle of his career. He, he is respected by men. He's adored by women. Little children, when they grow up, they say, we want to be like Naaman. He has all of that, but not only that, he has a favor of the Lord on his life. He seems to have it all. He seems to have it made. Except, look at what we read, but... He had leprosy. Why do we have to have a but? And I know what I said there, by the way, for those. Why do we have to have a but? Why do we have to have that but in our lives that butts its way in when everything seems to be going well? When we're eventually just getting our heads above the water financially, when we've eventually just found that boy or girl that we want to date, when we've got that new job, when, when everything seems to be just going well in life after a lot of struggle, after a lot of battling, after a lot of fights, 
everything's going well, but, buts its way in and makes everything less than it should be. It tarnishes and taints and spoils and ruins everything else. For Naaman, this but was a skin condition. It was leprosy. It probably started one night when he had come home from work. He was getting dressed and he noticed a spot maybe on his chest and he knew immediately what it was because in those days you knew what leprosy was. And he looked and he thought, well, I can cover it up. My wife won't see it. Nobody else will see it. And, 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 and he, he covered it up and then the spots began to develop and so his wife and the servant girl began to see it. But what the soldiers were, they wore armor. So he put on his armor every day and he went off to work and every night he came home and the spots and the leprosy began to grow. And over time, his joints probably began to ache. It must have been the early stages because he wouldn't have been able to function in what he was doing if the leprosy had been fully developed. He was able to still function publicly, but privately, this thing was destroying him. Deep down, he knew he could only hide it for so long. His leprosy was the condition in his life that seemed to contradict his calling. Here was a man who had everything. He looked like he had it all. Do you know anyone like that? I always look at other people and I go, they seem to have it all. They've got the nice house, the car, the perfect kids, you know, the perfect family, great job. They seem to have it all together. And you know what? People look at you like that as well. And I always say, I've been, pastor, I've been a lead pastor for 13 years now. And I always say, in the first 20 minutes when I go to visit a family from my house, I get the, the good stuff, the, the glory. If you stay long enough, you get the glory. If you dig beneath the surface in every single home, in every single family, if you get beneath the armor, you get the spots. You get the blemishes. You get the weakness. You get the disappointment. You get the dysfunction. You get the sinful habits. You get the bitterness. You get the addiction. You get the fears. You get the loss. You get the pain from the past, the anger issues, the struggles, the sickness, the heartache. We all have a butt, but we have learned really well how to cover it. We become really effective at functioning like Naaman at a high level when we're in public, and especially in church. You know, you're having World War III in your car on the way to church. The kids are like Damien with 666 in the back of the car, and you're screaming and you're shouting, and you're all, and then you get to praise the Lord, Pastor Tom. Things are going great. Love the Lord. Have a great week. Praise the Lord. And you're back in the car on your way home and you and your wife aren't speaking to each other. And, uh, but you come in here and you put on your armor. And yet inside, you know that's not the case. Let me ask you, what's the armor you use to cover your leprosy? What's your butt, your struggle, your secret, your external thing that you use to hide your internal struggle? It could be success at work, your sports ability, musical talent, natural charisma, giftedness. Maybe you're the life and soul of the party. You make people laugh. Maybe serving in church leadership. Maybe your looks, your appearance, your fancy cars. You're using all your abilities to try and hide your deficiencies. You're winning all your private, or all your public visible battles, but you're losing the private invisible ones. 
And here's what can happen. The thing that you're most gifted at on the outside can actually become the greatest barrier and obstacle to what God wants to do inside you. Because God can't heal what you won't reveal. God can't heal the hurts that you hide. God can't heal who you pretend to be. He can only heal the you that really is. I know what I'm talking about, folks. This isn't just a Bible talk for me. Three, four years ago, we were living in Dublin. We'd moved to a church that used to be called Core down there, a well-known church, but it had gone through a very rough time. It was down to about 50 people. It was about to close. It was in debt, and we moved down there in 2011 to take on this church in inner city Dublin, uh, right beside Guinness there. Some of you are pretending you don't know where that is, but you do. And, uh, and we took it on, and we poured our lives into it, and we saw great things happen. We saw hundreds of people saved. We saw miracles. We saw healings. On the outside, we looked like we had it all together. We were doing well. We were successful. In four years, we'd grown from 50 to maybe around 300 people. I had a full staff team. Uh, we, we had a huge budget. It was just on the outside, we looked like the perfect family. Our little boy was born in Dublin. Um, Becky got pregnant within three or four months of our moving, us moving there. I probably had something to do with that, but um, I don't know. Uh, but we, our little boy was born in our first year in Dublin, and, uh, and, and it just looked like we had it all together. But the church was growing, it was thriving, we were doing well, but inside I was dying. Particularly the second and third year, I was tired. I mean, I'm not just talking tired, we're all tired. You're at the early service, you're tired. I'm talking really tired. For a year, there was a year where every, there wasn't a week that one of us in the family wasn't sick. Our marriage wasn't where it should be. Our relationships with others were where they shouldn't be. I was struggling. But on the outside, everything was great. And I would get up on a Sunday and I would preach a storm and people would get saved. And as long as I could keep up the public facade, the private side could keep hidden. As long as I was leading well, the leprosy wasn't seen. As long as I was preaching well, the pain could be hidden. And so I kept doing it, and I kept thinking, I'll get help sometime. I'll get help sometime. Someday I'll sort it out. I just, there's always something else to do. I, I, I just, I, I need to keep going. I need to keep going. And I was carrying deep hurt about some stuff from my past. There was a tangible spiritual opposition. There was unresolved offense in my heart, if I'm being honest. I'd been offended by a few things and I hadn't properly dealt with it. And that was festering in my heart. And I was really struggling. It wasn't anything major. And it often isn't. Most people don't crumble because of one big thing. They crumble because of lots of little things. It wasn't all the spots appeared at once in name and it was one spot, two spot, three spot. People say, how heavy is a glass of water? And I say, it depends how long you have to carry it. And you can carry something for three minutes, and it's okay. When you're carrying the same thing for three months or three years, it gets very heavy. And some of you are carrying stuff, and you've been carrying little things for so long that it doesn't look like much to other people, but it's just worn you down gradually and gradually. And inside I knew I was falling apart. And I don't know if this is a, a man thing. We were talking about prejudices there. Us men, we don't like to admit when there's something wrong with us. You know? 
Like, I would rather die than go to the doctors, pretty much, you know? Like, if, if half of my leg is falling off, I'll call Johnny. He'll be like, Johnny, have you ever had your leg falling off? He'll be like, yeah, just get some duct tape or masking tape. It'll work fine. And rather than go to the doctor, I'll, I'll do anything because I am the one who fixes other people. I am the one with all the answers. I am the one that people come to. I can't admit that I have problems until one day in Actually, exactly this week, two, three years ago, October 2015, I had enough. I called the local doctor's surgery. I'd never been to it before, so I thought I'll be anonymous and nobody <laughs> will know me. And I managed to get a cancellation, the last appointment of the day. And I sneaked into the waiting room. It was close to the church, hoping that nobody would see me because I didn't want anyone to know I was there. And I sat in that waiting room. I, I remember it so visibly. I sat in that waiting room with tears filling my eyes, going, how did my life end up like this? Like, I'm following the call of God. I'm trying to be obedient to my Savior. And here I am, and I feel empty, and I feel hopeless. I don't care. I want to run away. Like, there, I just had got to the stage where I just wanted to run away. Every day. I just didn't want to be there anymore. And I sat in the waiting room and my name was called and I went into the doctor and he said, oh, Craig Cooney, you're the pastor of the church. <laughs> what can I do for you? He said, I've heard of you. What can I do for you? And in that moment, everything within me wanted to keep hiding. You know, I wanted to tell him about my fungal toenail, you know, hoping that that would be all that, you know, I, I could get away. But as my tears streamed down my cheeks, that would have had to be one really nasty toenail for me to get away with it. And in that moment, at five o'clock in that afternoon, Monday afternoon in, 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 in a GP in Dublin, the mask came down, the armor came off, and I began just to talk about what was going on in my life. And he said, you're burnt out, and your burnout has led to depression. And he said, we, you need to sabbatical, which I got six months later. He said, between now and then, you need to go on medication just to lift your serotonin slightly. I want to say that to you today, because some of us, these things are a real taboo in the church today. And... And, and we don't want to label everything depression. We don't, you know, and there's all sorts of issues. But we, you know what? We need to be honest about mental health. And we need to be honest and vulnerable about these things because every person in this room is either depressed or knows someone with depression. Every person. That's what I've come uh, uh, to discover. I don't share this story in many places, by the way. This is only the second time I've ever shared it properly, okay? But I, I just really felt I needed to be vulnerable with you this morning and let down my armor. And, and, and for six months, I, I started to heal up. And then we took a sabbatical, and God in his grace then, we moved out of Dublin um, after the sabbatical, and we moved back north, and, and God provided for us. And, and it's been a journey of healing. But I want to tell you, it wasn't overnight. It was a process. I would have loved somebody to wave their hand over me and shabba ba 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 over me. And, you know, and, and that happens. I am telling you, that happens. People are miraculously healed in an instant, but for me, it was a process. And that's what we're going to see in a few moments with Naaman. But I had to be willing to let my guard down because I'd been using my competency to cover my condition, my preaching to cover my pain, and my leadership to hide my sense of loss. And anywhere in our lives where there's a gap between who we present to the world and who we really are, eventually that is going to crumble. You can keep it up for so long, but eventually the mask is going to come down. What is it for you? What's the leprosy that you're covering up? 
You see, maybe you're succeeding at your job, but you're miserable. You hate it, but you're doing really well at it. Maybe your work colleagues respect you, but your wife resents you. Maybe you're there for everyone else, but you have no time for your family. Maybe you're incredibly creative, but you're also incredibly critical and cynical of others. Maybe you're achieving in lots of areas of your life, but you're constantly angry. Maybe you're really good socially, but you're really struggling sexually. Perhaps you're really nice to other people you want to impress, but you take out your frustrations on the people who love you most. And deep down, you know that all of the stuff is only skin deep. That's where we find Naaman. Let's get up close to him. Verses 2 and 3. Now, bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel. And she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of leprosy. You see, you can hide most things from the people out there, but it's the people at home who get to see who you really are, isn't it? Over time. You can hide yourself from the public out there, but it's the people at home who see who you really are behind the mask, behind the armor. And they love you, but they're not as impressed by you as everyone else because they get to see who you really are. And they're the ones who bear the brunt of the stuff that you're hiding from everyone else. They bear the brunt of your struggles. And in this case, it was Naaman's wife, their servant girl. The servant girl who had been basically kidnapped and brought back to Syria. She owed them nothing. What do you do when you owe somebody nothing and they've harmed you, but you have the chance to help them? When somebody has hurt you, I mean, she had been literally trafficked back to be a slave. She has an opportunity just to keep her mouth shut here and say, yeah, just die of your leprosy. But she chooses to show compassion. And she's a nobody. I mean, we don't even find out her name. Naaman, he's a big deal. And she's a nobody. But you know what? God uses the nobodies to impact the somebodies. God uses the people without a name to impact cities and communities. God uses the least, the last, and the lowest to reach the whole of a city. And I want to say to you today that you might feel like you're not a name. You might feel like you're a nobody. You might feel like, you know what, God could never use me. God used a girl who we don't even know her name to be the one to signpost Naaman, not only to healing, but to knowing the living God. And God wants to use you. I don't care what background you're from. I don't care what your past is. I don't care what you were doing even last night. If you are willing to humbly submit and surrender to God, he can use you in ways you could never imagine. I'm constantly amazed. If you knew my background, if you knew my past. I was just talking to somebody this week about another pastor. We look at ourselves and we go, like, the fact that God could do anything through us. Like, I am just a pleb from Portadown. I'm a nobody. And God has used me. And if God can use somebody like me, he can use you. I can tell you. I used to get so nervous reading in church. Now, I'm not talking about when I was 12. I'm talking about when I was 20. I used to get so nervous doing a Bible reading in church that my eyes would blur and I would just make the scriptures up. You're not meant to do that. Like the Bible has verses about not doing that. Anything could come out. That's how nervous I used to get. And yet God has somehow in his grace positioned me up here doing this week after week. Let's jump down to verse 9. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. So Naaman's eventually at the point I got to three years ago in Dublin. He knows he has to get help. And so he goes to Elisha 
but he gathers up his entourage. He gets his, his jeeps, his SUVs, okay, and chariots with tinted windows because he's kind of a big deal. And he goes and he rolls up to the house of Elisha the prophet. And he expects the red carpet treatment because he's a big deal. Look at verse 10. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. Elisha's funny, isn't he? He doesn't even go to the door. This guy rolls up with his entourage. A big deal. Expect the red carpet. And Elisha's like to his intern, go out and tell him dip himself in the river seven times and he'll be fine. I can just imagine in the background he's playing Shanad Queen, that don't impress me much, you know. And it seems like he's being rude. It seems like Elisha's being rude. Not, I mean, you wouldn't have him on the welcome team, probably. Not exactly Mr. Hospitality here. But Elisha knew exactly what he was doing. Because while Naaman's leprosy was, a, was the issue he thought he needed to deal with, there was actually a much deeper issue, and that was his pride. Let me show you what I mean. Verses 10 to 12. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God. Wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. So Elisha's servant, is in turn, goes out and says, wash yourself seven times. Now let me ask you, is that a difficult thing or an easy thing? Easy. It is not, he's not asking him to do something that was physically difficult. On the surface, it was a simple thing. But at a deeper level, there was nothing more important to Naaman than being respected. He would rather die than be disrespected because he had a reputation to keep. Look at what he says again. I thought you would surely come out to me. I'm a big deal. I expected the man of God to come out and greet me and, and make a big deal of me because everywhere I go, I'm a big deal. And then what he says... He, 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 he says, and stand on the call on the name of the Lord is God and wave his hand over the spot. And he, he's all about the public spectacle. He wanted his Benny Hinn moment, you know. He wanted Elisha to come out in a white robe and swing it round. Wah, be healed and the spots would go. He wanted some big spectacle, some big dramatic healing, some great story that he could go back with and say, look at what happened. And look at what else he says. Are not a ban and far for the rivers of Damascus better than the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? You know what's coming out here? His bigotry. His racial prejudice is coming to the surface. Because you know what happens when we are disrespected? The worst in us comes out. I know that's for me anyway. Can I be honest? My thing is dishonor and disrespect. I can handle almost anything. I'll have a fist fight with you. I don't care. You know, I'll give you the right hand of Jesus, the right hand of fellowship. I don't care. But if you disrespect me and I feel dishonored, something in me shuts down and, and stuff comes out of me that's not good. I've had to learn this. Because at times in Dublin, about th probably a lot of what I talked about earlier can be traced back to one meeting where I felt dishonored. And I didn't deal with it and it festered and grew. It festered and grew. And Naaman 
is dishonored and disrespected. And hurt people hurt people. And so when he is hurt, when he feels dishonored and disrespected, all this stuff, he says, you know what? Your waters are stinking. And if you, I was at the Jordan a few years ago. He's not far wrong. I expected this bubbly sort of spa experience. It is a filthy, dirty, muddy river. He said, I could have dipped in my own rivers instead of your stinking now rivers in Israel. I mean, he's just, he's, he's getting prejudicial. All his anger is causing him to lose it a bit. And he goes off in a furious rage. He can't treat me that way. I'm better than that. How dare he think, tell me to step in some dirty river, huh? I mean, us men on our pride. <laughs> like, seriously. My, my wife could tell you a story. I mean, if I pull up at a traffic light and another car pulls up there and they even rev their engine at that, it is on. <laughs> it is on. Even though my wife's there, my sons, my six-year-old son's in the back, it is on. <laughs> Becky's brother lives in Australia. He came to visit a while ago. He said, do you want to go out for a jog? I said, I will go out for a jog with you. That wasn't a jog. That was a sprint. Now, I'm a casual jogger, as you can see. Um, like, I, I, to me, a jog is I listen to an audio book, and I walk for a bit, and I run for a bit, and I just get a bit of time to myself. That day, this was a race. Because he's about the same age as me and we have a little bit of competition between us because I'm married to her, his sister and he's not that excited about that sometimes. And uh, he lives in Australia. We banished him. Um, but, you know, we, we went out for a casual run and I started fast because I wanted... And he started getting faster. And so I started getting... This was a 10K. I've never ran. And I got back and honestly, I thought I was going to die. But you know what? So did he because he doesn't like running either. We were both nearly dead, but pride, pride, male pride. Because of his ego and pride, Naaman storms off in a massive stop. Ultimately, why? Because the miracle didn't look like he expected it to look. Look at those first three words, I thought that. Do you know what? Those three words have got me into more trouble than anything else nearly in life. I thought that. My expectations, my assumptions, my presuppositions about what God would do. My way, my thinking, my best wisdom. I thought that. He expected the man of God to wave his hand and something dramatic would happen and said, go and dip in the river seven times. It was too ordinary. It was too simple. It was... It wasn't how he expected. You know, sometimes God will reveal, or offend your mind to reveal your heart. Sometimes God will offend your mind because he wants to reveal your heart. And I can't wonder, help but wonder how many of us miss a miracle of God in our lives because it doesn't happen in the way we thought it should. Or it comes through somebody we didn't think it could. Or it comes through somebody we don't even like. You ever had somebody you don't even like want to pray for you when you're sick? And you've had 23 other people pray for you and nothing's happened and the person you don't even like prays and you're healed and you're like, God, must have been the other ones. Like really, like God uses people that we think he would never use. And people are looking at you going the same. God's using them and I don't think he should use them. And you're thinking about, like God uses people we wouldn't expect him to use. And I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Sometimes God heals us in a way we wouldn't expect. And sometimes the miracle could be right in front of you, but you can't see it because it's not how you expect it. Sometimes God's purpose will override 
our plans. Just because what is happening doesn't match up with the picture in your head of how you thought it should look. Just because, and I, I felt as to say this to some of you this morning, those of you who are single here, just because that guy or girl doesn't meet that 47-point list that you have on a perfect potential spouse, don't write them off. Sometimes God brings people into your life that you never thought they should be with you or could be with you. Some of you have this picture of this person who's not, not even real. They're impossible. And you know what? God sends people into our lives who we would least expect. And if we will welcome them, he will do great things and impact us soon. Three friendships. Maybe there's people you look across at in church and you think, I would never connect with them. You get to know them and you realize, you know what, this person's incredible. You have a coffee with them after church and you go, this person's amazing. But I never expected them. Maybe you're here this morning and, and, and you need healing and you've been to the doctor and you've been to the holistic people and all of that. And maybe here you've come and it's one of your first times here and maybe you don't expect much, but maybe this morning, this is where God will meet you and heal you. Let's get to verses 13 and 14. We're nearly done. Naaman's servants went with him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped in the Jordan seven times as the man of God told him, and his flesh was restored and he became clean like that of a young boy. He dipped seven times. I wonder what happened. I wonder did he dip once and a little bit was cleansed, second time a little bit. I don't think that's what happened. I think he dipped once and nothing, twice and nothing, three times and nothing. Fourth time, let's go home. Oh, we're here now, we may as well stay three more times. Fifth time, nothing. Sixth time, nothing. Seventh time, completely healed. Because sometimes the miraculous is in the mundane. Sometimes the miracle happens not in the instant, but in the process of doing the same thing over and over again. And many of us are one or two decisions away from changing our lives, but it seems so ordinary and it seems so mundane that we don't do it. And yet if we would just do the simple mundane thing day in, day out, a year from now, your life would look different. Sometimes I ask myself, what decision do I wish I'd made a year ago that I didn't? Because I know my life would look different now if I did. Why not make that today? Sometimes the miracle is found in doing the mundane. And sometimes we just need to obey what God is asking us to do, even if it doesn't make sense. Because God doesn't make sense sometimes. Sometimes... We need to just forgive. You're looking at healing in your body and God said, forgive that person. And you're going, no, I want healing in my body. And God said, I will heal your body, but you need to forgive that person. Sometimes you're looking for some breakthrough in your life and God saying, yeah. But I want you to, to deal with that pride issue in your heart. Because I oppose the pride. And you've been rebuking the devil but I oppose the proud and I give grace to the humble. So deal with your pride and you'll get your breakthrough. Some of us are praying for a husband or a wife 
and God saying, well, stop spending five hours looking at things on the internet that are completely ruining your expectations of what relationships should be. And you go, but that's too soon. No. Deal with that, and God will bring the right person into your life. You see, naming was used to control in people in situations. Anyone else a wee bit of a control freak here? I am. I am. I like to be in control. And Naaman had to submit and surrender his control and say, I, I just, I lay it all down. And only when he was willing to do that did he receive his miracle. Look at verse 15. The greatest miracle. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So Naaman's skin was transformed. He was made clean on the outside. He got his miracle. His leprosy was healed. And that was great. But you know what was even greater? The healing that happened on the inside. He encountered the only true and living God. And maybe you're here this morning and you need a miracle. Maybe in your health, maybe in your family, maybe in your relationships or your finances. And that's really important. We're going to pray about that miracle in a second. But can I say to you that the most important miracle you need is to have an encounter with the true and living God Amen. through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. My friend Mark Marks, he started a thing called Healing on the Streets, and he's got this thing called the Miracle Question. Perhaps the, uh, the band could come up, Ben and the guys could come up just to lead us in a final song. But my friend Mark goes out in the streets, and he's an incredible evangelist, and, and he has a great healing ministry. But he goes up to people, and he'll say, and you could do this, this is a really great way to share your faith with somebody. He calls it the Miracle Question. He says, if God could do one miracle in your life right now, what would it be? And he lets them think for a minute. And everybody is a miracle. You know, I want my mommy to be healed. I want to find somebody. To, I want this sickness healed. I, I, I want this broken relation. And he says, right, we'll pray for that in a second. Can I tell you what the greatest miracle God could do in your life is? 2,000 years ago, God sent his son into the world. He lived the perfect sinless life that you could never live. He died a death on the cross that you should have died. And he rose from the grave. And if you will invite him right now, he will come in and he will forgive you of every mess, every sin, every wrong thing you have ever done. And you will have security of eternity with him forever. That's the greatest miracle. He says, so we'll pray for the healing, we'll pray for that. But are you willing? Do you want the greatest miracle of all? And this morning right now, we're going to pray for your miracle. But I also want to pray that you'll receive the greatest miracle. And the greatest miracle of all is that you would let the armor off. You would just be vulnerable and just say, God, I have been using all this stuff to hide what's really going inside. And Jesus, I can't do this. Will you come into my life? Will you take my mess and do a miracle with it? Will you take the stuff that I've been hiding and heal my hurt and heal my broken heart? And will you make me new? And when we do that, he promises he will come in, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done. He will give you his Holy Spirit to come and live inside you, to give you the power to live for him. And he will give you new life. Would you stand to your feet with me for a moment? Would you bow your heads just for a moment? And if you need healing in your body right now, would you put, if it's appropriate, would you put your hand on that place in your body? Maybe it's somebody in your family needs healing in your body. Just for, stand on proxy for them and put your hand there. We're going to pray for healing for that. And if you don't, then just put your hand on your heart. Father God, we thank you that you are our healer. We thank you that you welcome us all.
And we pray for healing in every body, every mind, every relationship, every family, every circumstance. We pray for physical healing. We command all sickness to be gone. We rebuke infection in the name of Jesus. We rebuke cancer in the name of Jesus. We rebuke uh, broken bones and we command healing to broken bones in the name of Jesus. All sickness, infection, disease and affliction be gone in the name and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. But maybe you're here this morning and you've never said yes to Jesus. You've never said, Jesus, come and be my Savior. Come and be my Lord. Come and I surrender my pride to you. I surrender my life to you. While every head's bowed and every eye's closed, I'm going to ask, now, would you just do something for me? I'm not going to bring you to the front. I don't want to embarrass you. I'm just asking you to raise your hand and I want to pray with you. Raising your hand doesn't save you. Jesus saved you 2,000 years ago. Raising your hand as you saying yes to him so that you have this moment to look back on and say, that's the day I said yes to Jesus. So just while every head's bowed and every eye's closed, if you're here this morning and you've never consciously submitted and surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, would you, after three, just slip up your hand? One, two, three. Anybody? Okay. I thank you. I see your hand. Or you can take it down in the middle there. Anybody else? Anybody else? I'm not going to drag this out. I'm going to make sure we don't miss anyone. Anybody else want to say yes to Jesus and join this brave young man this morning? Let's pray with him. Let's all pray together. My brother, would you pray this with us all? Dear Jesus, thank you that you died on the cross. You took my sin. You rose again. You're coming back. Come into my life. Fill me with your spirit. From this day forward, I choose to live for you. You're my Lord. You're my Savior. You're my king. Amen. Let's worship together, folks. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? First for a drink from the well, Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the ocean, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was born with the precious blood of. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new life was born. Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the ocean. 
hallelujah it takes a lot of courage to share your heart like that and even more so when you're known as a public speaker so honestly i really respect what you've shared craig will we give this man the honor of a round of applause it's it's very touching to hear you share what you went through craig and by god's grace for all the men here that this would sink in it's okay to share if you're going through a hard time would all the men say amen would the women say amen it's okay to share that our strapline in this church is real people real church we want to be real we don't want to be fake because the only way God will heal us as Craig has shared is if we are honest before him so praise God Craig and Becky are going to be here if you want prayer is that okay guys um, they'll be here to pray with people once the meeting is over in just a few minutes. Let's commit ourselves to the Lord for the week ahead. If you're comfortable with it, can you lift your hands? But you don't have to if it's not your thing. Thank you, Jesus, that we can be honest before you. And honestly, as we face the week ahead, whatever that thing is, at work, at home, in our bodies, in our minds, in our hearts, oh Jesus, would you help us to be real about it and help us to overcome it and to be the men and women we were born to be. We hand that over to you now. We leave it at your feet and we pray you would go before us for the week ahead. In Jesus' name and one last time, God's people said, amen. The band are going to play us out, Ben and the guys. Coffee has been served upstairs if you have the time. Craig and Becky are here if you want to say hello to them. Over to Ben and the team. God bless you one and all. <laughs>